You're listening to The VAP, episode 20, the shiniest trailer on the planet. With two tons of aluminum hitched to his bumper, cruising down the internet superhighway, The VAP is streaming right to your ears. Vintage Airstream Podcast. And now your host for the Vintage Airstream Podcast, Tim Shepard. Living in aluminum. Hello everybody, welcome to episode 20. I'm your host Tim Shepard. Today we talk with a couple who have put their mark on the vintage Airstream community by striving for that perfect polish. Meet the Mannings and their 1964 Globetrotter, which has been called the shiniest trailer on the planet. We get pretty technical on the polishing of aluminum, so you might want to pay special attention to this episode. So grab your buff and wheel, sit back, and enjoy the show. I'd like to welcome to the VAP Studios, Arlen and Shirley Manning. They are two avid Airstream owners and owners of a 64 Globe Trotter that has actually been called the shiniest trailer on earth. Is that right? Well, somebody said that, but it wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to welcome you into uh, the show. Thank you very much. It's quite a reputation to try to live up to. I bet. <laughs> no, it's, it's shiny, and it's just something that, uh, you know, if it's something you feel you should do, well, we've, uh, we've done it. First off, tell us how you found your trailer. Well, I guess if you want to go back to the very beginning, um, back in 99, we took a little tour around the country, uh, spent six months in just a uh, Dodge van that I have, use it for work, and it's pretty Spartan. I think it has carpet on the floor and nothing else. And uh, we were, we got a book on, uh, oh, 200 things to see in the USA that are free. And one of those was the uh, Airstream factory in uh, Ohio. And it was probably the most expensive free tour we ever took. Uh, We had a great time just looking through the factory and seeing what they were doing, but uh, a new trailer is not something that would ever appeal to me. But back in their service area, they had an early 60s Bambi. And that looked like something I thought I wouldn't mind having. Well, we finally got back to uh, Napa after our travels and found a place to rent and we had to wait a while for it to be available. Uh, So we went up to uh, eastern Washington, and we were at uh, Shirley's folks' place. I was trimming my beard over a newspaper, and somehow the word Airstream caught my eye, and I looked and looked at the paper and finally found it, and yes, there was uh, a farm auction the next day, and there was a 1964 19-foot Airstream there. We went down there and uh, kind of stood out like a sore thumb, uh, California couple and when a Toyota Camry and all these uh, farmers in their four-wheel drives. Anyway, I uh, held my hand up until it was mine. That's where we got started. Uh, it looked like a pretty nice one. It had been inside uh, most of its life, and uh, it was a, a real good uh, model. I later discovered uh, that a 1964 Globetrotter is a very nice size and the first of some good improvements and the last of some nice features. So you didn't really have any experience on a trailer, owning a trailer before, and you kind of just stumbled? We never owned a trailer in our lives. It's just one of those things that uh, just appealed to us, and uh, it seemed like a fun thing to do, and uh, reasonably priced, it seemed to be. So you stumbled on on a good model right off the bat, huh? I think we were very lucky in that respect. Uh, 
I've had a, we've had uh, a classic airplane, and I've had lots of cars and motorcycles and things, and I could tell that something was as far as the condition of it. Uh, with an airplane, and as well as an airstream trailer, the condition of the skin is probably the biggest factor on whether something is ever going to be very, very nice. Mm-hmm. And this one had nice skin on it, so that was a deciding factor on on purchasing it. Uh, it turned out there wasn't any rot in the floor. Uh, cabinets, I had to do a lot of work on those because it had gotten uh, maybe a season and a half of being outside, and contrary to some people's belief, uh, all Airstreams leak, yeah, uh, including this one. Right. <laughs> anyway, I uh, I guess because the skin was so clean, Shuri thought, uh, well, I could polish the outside of the trailer while you fix up the inside. And that seemed like a pretty good deal. Oh, yeah. I love that deal. I know how hard polishing is. <laughs> oh, I, I got involved in it. I, she didn't do it all herself. But I did a lot. Oh, she sure did. Uh, polishing is, is very much a labor of love. It's uh, Nothing looks like a polished trailer, but it's not a practical idea to have a polished trailer. What do you mean by that? Well, it uh, it requires a lot of upkeep, and it's a lot of work to get it there in the first place. You always have to keep it very clean. We are fortunate to have a place that we can store a trailer inside, and we have a uh, little system of about six bed sheets that are sewn and Velcroed together, and a system of uh, ropes and pulleys in the uh, area where we store it, so that we can just lift the cover up and and uh, roll the trailer underneath and drop it down. Uh, anytime we go out to use the trailer, it takes about an hour with distilled water and glass wax to uh, clean it uh, before we put it away. Oh, wow. That's a labor of love, all right. It, it is indeed, and it's not like something painted. Probably it's one of the most important things in the upkeep is cleaning it when you're done because any little bug has acid and so forth in it and causes corrosion quite quickly. That's just part of the ongoing maintenance that a polished trailer is going to make you cause you to devote yourself to. A lot, a lot of it is how nicely you, you want to have it polished. I'm sure there are parts of the country, away from the coast, that it could stay outside or just under a, uh, a cover, and it would do much better. Uh, but here in the Bay Area, where you do have uh, a lot of damp and somewhat salty air, uh, the, the precautions and storage efforts we've gone to are pretty much necessary. Let's try and back up a little bit, because one of the things I wanted to achieve with this episode is giving insight to people who haven't attempted to polish. Maybe we can give a little bit of rundown on some of the techniques that you maybe experimented with and didn't like, and then what you ultimately chose to uh, to be the shiniest trailer on the on the planet. Well, we have we have a, a bare metal airplane, and we have tried polishing it a time a few times, uh, and have only gotten started a bit and kind of given up. And when we got this trailer, it was in such nice shape. We did some uh, researching on the internet, and we found a group called the uh, Swift Foundation. And this is a uh, organization that helps people with Globe Swift airplanes, which is a 1940s airplane, to maintain and improve them. And they put out a video on polishing. And we acquired a copy of their video, uh, and it had a lot of good ideas in it. There are three things that they use in their system uh, that we basically adopted and then made our own improvements to them to come up with our own system. Uh, but basically, it's uh, 
first a system called compounding, which is a very slow speed, high pressure method of initially preparing the surface. The next thing was that they used uh, a product called Nuvite, which is a brand of polish. And lastly was a system of using a cyclo random orbit dual head polisher with uh, a cotton t-shirt material Pretty over sure. the heads, sweatshirt material, not t-shirt. Yeah, it's kind of uh, fleece-like. Okay. I think very well of the basic idea. The compounding aspect of it is something that I had never tried or heard of. Also, the Nuvite polish, uh, I've, I've tried many, many different brands of polish, uh, Mothers and uh, Blue Magic and Rolite. I like the Nuvite product the best. Why, uh, why is that? Well, it's very clean to work with. It's not greasy at all. The residue comes off the surface as you, after you polish it. Actually, it even washes up very well if you get it, you know, the black polish material on your hands. It washes right off with soap and water. And the same for the polishing claws and clothes and such. And uh, it also comes in several different grades. You start with a coarser grade, and then we typically use about three different or four different grades as needed on the uh, polishing. We'll typically start with the compounding, which is uh, a wool bonnet on a modified uh, DeWalt drill that spins at 450 RPM, and that's much, much slower than any polisher's turn. Now, why is that important? Well, if you you need to put a, a high amount of pressure on in order to deeply clean the uh, surface of the aluminum, uh, and if you have a high pressure, you would burn the material, burn the aluminum, overheat it. Uh, if you tried to push that much pressure on with a higher speed tool. Uh, it's something that you basically have to try out to appreciate. With polishing, many people just start off by rubbing on the surface with something that's uh, with, any, with some sort of polish and they immediately get a nice shine and they feel that they've uh, polished it or started to. And this is akin to taking a, a piece of wood and some 600 grit sandpaper and starting to sand on it and saying, oh, that looks great. But unless you can polished deeply, you will not provide a good uh, surface to bring up the final shine. And that's what the, uh, the high-pressure, low-speed polish will allow you to do, which cleans out the pores of the aluminum. The concept of aluminum being uh, porous is something that seem, uh, people may think is a little strange, but aluminum typically corrodes in a manner that allows a lot of small pits to occur. And if you simply polish with a high-speed polisher, Often all you're doing is uh, filling up those little pits with uh, polishing compound, burnishing them over a little bit, and then the polish will not, the polish job will not last very long. You know, they'll, you will quickly get some oh, black dots and uh, bits of white on the surface uh, that will quickly crop up in a matter of a week or two. And it's only by thoroughly, heavily uh, preparing the surface with the compounding that you can then later take the cyclo with a finer uh, grade of polish and bring up the final shine that will last a while. Now, you mentioned in the Swift video the compounding part seemed new to you. And now that you've adopted that technique, what, what have you learned from that? Well, uh, other than basically just doing it, uh, you, you're really getting the surface uh, quite shiny with the compounding, only it leaves it with swirls and then the, the uh, cyclo will take out the swirls. There's 
three things that occur when you when you polish metal. I, this is a little bit of a diversion here. But the three things that you're doing, first is abrading. This is like uh, sanding wood or something like that. It's uh, pushing sharp particles of hard material over a softer material. And this removes some of that original surface. The second thing that you're doing is that you're burnishing. And this is moving the molecules on top of the metal around and flattening them out. And this is something like if you took the back of your spoon and smoothed out your mashed potatoes with it. And with polishing aluminum, this is occurring both on a microscopic level as well as on a, a molecular level. Lastly, you're increasing the reflective properties by the waxes and such that are in the polish itself. And this leaves some sort of a coating on the aluminum as well as filling in the very small scratches. But it's those three things that are happening that give you what you would call a polish job, the abrading, the burnishing, and the uh, coating of the material, coating of the aluminum. So the compounding portion of the polish job actually is giving the material some real horsepower to get in there and reshape, reform the uh, actual aluminum surface? Yes, it does, very much. It's, it is both uh, a very heavy abrading as well as burnishing effect that you are getting with that. You will look at, uh, if you have some very deep pits, you'll actually see how those pits are smoothing out and rounding out. And actually, if you're only compounding in one direction, you'll even get comet trails of, of uh, a bit of a gouge from the, the pits as you, as you depart from them. That's, you have to look closely to see that type of uh, action, but uh, you're really moving some material with the, uh, with the compounding process. What is your feeling on using um, wet sanding like some people propose to use? Um, I have some real concerns about that. Um, and the reason is that, is that uh, most sanding, most wet or dry sandpaper is silicon carbide. And what happens with silicon carbide is that those pieces of grit actually break off of the sandpaper and embed in the surface of the aluminum. And also, the silicon carbide has a corrosive effect on the aluminum itself. The electronegativity of the, this is how it's been explained to me, I haven't ever seen a chart with silicon carbide on it, but I've been told that the silicon carbide has a different electronegativity than the aluminum does. That may be a little bit too technical. Okay. But uh, if you are going to sand on the aluminum, that you're better off using a aluminum oxide type abrasive. And that's typically uh, oh, 3M triamite or... No, I'm not sure if triamide is the same brand. There's something called free cut, and I know that that's an aluminum oxide. But that is the same material as the aluminum itself, only in an oxided condition. Mm -hmm. And I've actually had an area where I used 1,000 grit silicon carbide sandpaper and then went back to compound it, and it did not look the same. Oh, really? How did it look different? It just didn't come up with the same shine. Okay. Uh, the one panel that I did that way. Mm -hmm. I'd have to look at it to, uh, right now, but I can't tell you exactly what, what looked uh, different about it. It was about a few years. Yeah, but, I mean, but it, it didn't did. have the, the brilliant shine of the parts you didn't it, sand. It did not. Yeah. Um, and I thought thousand grit. It's not going to. This is much finer and a much finer abrasive than uh, you know even the grit on the uh, the G6 uh, Nuvite. Right. So there's different grades of polish. Why don't you go over some of the basic grades? Uh, start from the finest to the most the most coarse. Well, 
I'd uh, let me start with the coarsest uh, rather than work with the finest, if that's okay. Sure. Okay. There's a product. Uh, I think there's some others that they've added since we first did our polishing. And at the time we did ours, the coarsest material was called G6. And this is something that you'd only use on very badly corroded areas um, where you've got serious white deposits on it or where you've got um, a lot of rock damage from uh, on the front of the trailer. It's very uh, coarse, and if you really bear down with a compounder, you'll actually scratch the aluminum with a compounder. Uh, for that reason, I don't recommend people try it to begin with until they're fairly accomplished with the polishing and they can judge the effects of what it's doing. This is an aluminum oxide type abrasive, and aluminum oxide has a property that it's what you would call friable, and that means that it will break up into smaller pieces as you polish with it, but these smaller pieces uh, have sharp edges that they retain as you polish, so it stays sharp, the grit does, as you polish. Okay. The next grade up is C, and it's basically the same aluminum oxide as the G6, only it's a finer material to begin with. And that's usually what I recommend uh, for most compounding to start with and see what kind of results you get with that. Uh, the next grade up would be the F7, and it's uh, kind of a black polish, which I believe is actually an emery-based abrasive, but it's finer than C. And emery has the property of being a harder abrasive material, uh, the particle, and it does not break up as much. And as you work it, it tends to get more rounded the, uh, on a microscopic level. But it gets a nice, uh, a nice brilliant shine with that. And then lastly is the S, and I think that that is also a uh, emery, but I don't know that. Uh, that's suspicion on my part on, the, on, the, on being an emery anyway on the F7, but it, it is a harder uh, material. With the difference between the C and the F7, we get a lot of questions, which one should I use? And it's really, you really have to try each of them and see which works for you. We've really preferred the C most of the time when we've been polishing, but we were at a rally doing a demo once with Tom, and it was quite cold that day, and the C just was not working, and the F worked much better that day. So from panel to panel, sometimes it's different from one trailer to another, or even from one panel to another, or differences in temperature or humidity. One day, one might work better than another. And that's when it but becomes an art, more of an art than a science. The art and being willing to experiment and change a little bit. Mm -hmm. The G6, you always want to be careful with, because it will scratch if you're not. Whether you like C or whether you like F really depends on your own technique, the weather, the temperature, which tends to work for you. And you might find that one day you use one and one day you use the other. And then the S is what you do your final polish with, and it, that's what really brings up the, the glow if it's been cleaned with the compounding previously. And you bring up temperature. Is there a basic temperature range? Um, I found it was between 60 and 80 degrees for when I was working on my trailer, but is there a, is there a universal temperature range where you could work on these things? I, I think that that's a, a pretty good, uh, that, you, that you found uh, temperature range that worked pretty well. And also working in direct sunlight, you tend to build the heat a lot more quickly too. If it's too cold, it doesn't cut. And if it's too hot, it tends to dry out. Something else I wanted to, to mention, uh, Shirley dropped the name Tom. 
and she's referring to Tom Newman of uh, Perfect Polish. And he is uh, a fellow in Petaluma, I believe, that uh, has a mail-order business of selling Nuvite polish as well as polishers, and he's uh, a nice fellow to work with. Yeah, we've been trying to get him on the show, and as soon as he, he has some more products that he's putting together for his website, and we're going to get him on. Good. Very good. Uh, so the idea about the different polish grades is basically trying to find one that's going to work for you without doing more damage that you're going to have to repair later on in the process. Would that be an accurate statement? Yeah, that's that's pretty good. We found that the G6 in some areas where, like like we said, we had road rash in the front where we had a lot of filiform corrosion. That's corrosion that happens underneath the clear coat where the clear coat breaks and a little bit, you get a little snake-like corrosion. That in some of those places, the G6 was very useful, but being careful not to bear down too hard. And the C for us tended to work very, very well. And so if somebody was going to start polishing and they wanted to start with one, it's a good one to start with to see how it works. And then if there's an area that just won't clean out with that to try something more aggressive. But don't start with the more aggressive one. Can you describe what the filiform corrosion looks like? Uh, This is a little worm trail, you might call it. It's a... um, Many airstreams, in fact, all newer airstreams, had a clear coat of uh, some sort of a lacquer-like material that they used over the aluminum. And nothing really sticks very well to aluminum, including a clear coat. Anyway, as it breaks down a little bit, a little bit of moisture will creep under the area where it's failed. And as it works along, it makes corrosion. And as that corrosion pops up and expands, it keeps making this trail work its way along. And these can often be, oh, three or four inches long starting out. and Eventually the entire clear coat will fail, and then you just have this uh, white corroded area. And that corrosion I found to be about the most difficult thing to polish off because it's, at, isn't it at a chemical layer? It's very, very strong. It's uh, an aluminum oxide, um, and there may be some other things in there as well. One thing we haven't mentioned, and many people who polish often acid etch before they polish. And I think that even though we have not done this ourselves, I think it's a valid thing to do in many cases uh, when you do have severe corrosion because it will clean out much of the the corrosion in the pits and such. You do have to be real careful with, with the acid etching because it will get under the rivets and so forth. So you want to make sure that you only do a small section at a time and that you rinse it very, very, very well so that you don't get the acid-causing corrosion where you don't want it. Yeah, I don't find my notes here, but there's a material called Prep 33, and it's sold by Aircraft Spruce and Specialty as well as uh, uh, other uh, mail-order companies and elsewhere. One thing is it's critical not to allow the acid to dry as you're working on it. So... It's definitely something you want to do yourself rather than have somebody else do so that you can make sure the process is properly controlled. The other is you absolutely, absolutely must wash, rinse it as, as well as possible. But you generally only leave it on for a couple minutes and then rinse it. And you'll spend far more time rinsing when you do applying the acid. And uh, as it sits on the material, you have to make sure you've kept it wet. So one might only want to work an area, uh, maybe three or four feet square or something like that with the acid 
and then rinse it and then work their way onto another area. Uh, I've seen acid etched trailers, and if it's well done, you just get a nice silvery sheen with no uh, no corrosion and no polish to it, and it's actually quite attractive. You've acid etched things on the airplane. Oh, I, I have. Uh, just not I, on the trailer. Yeah, just not a trailer. Okay. Uh, it's a common pre-paint technique for aircraft. When you're going to paint the paint an aircraft, you'll acid etch it first. That's to get it prepared so you could the paint will adhere to it. To to remove all the um, as remove the corrosion and it leaves the um, metal with a little bit of a tooth to it as well, so that the paint will tend to mechanically adhere to it. Now back to the the compounding step. How many sure. how many times? Let's say we're starting off with our trailer, and we've already stripped the clear coat, and we're going to start with the compounding portion, and we decide to start with C, Nuvite C. How many times do you have to go over uh, a given area before you move on to the next one? That's a somewhat subjective uh, question. Um, the answer is, anyway, depends how much you want to remove it and how smooth you want to get it before you... Uh, apply the final uh, cyclo polish to it. It also depends on the amount of corrosion there was there to start with. Absolutely. Um, I'll typically take an area that's um, maybe one foot by two foot, and that's the area that I'll work with the uh, cyclo, uh, excuse me, with the uh, compounder, and then I'll pick out another uh, section adjacent to it and work that. Um, I really don't have any idea how long it even took us to polish our trailer. And it's a rather um, tedious process, and you can only work on it when it's fairly cool. Uh, when Shirley and I polished, uh, we got a, a basic system together, and we would go out in the morning and polish for maybe two hours, and then we would quit before it warmed up and before we got completely tired. And that way we'd have enough energy to go out and polish the next morning. And I think we probably polished on the trailer maybe six weeks or so. Oh, okay. Just depending on how good of a job you want to get uh, and how bad the, the con skin condition is before you start polishing is what's going to determine how much time you spend on your trailer. And for those who aren't familiar with using a compounder, and we're talking about a, a drill, a modified drill with a, a wool bonnet on it. Is that right? Yes. Can you describe how you approach the trailer with it and the speed in which you use it? Um, I'm not really sure how to respond to that. I, uh, you walk up to it with a compounder and spread some uh, material on it and go for it. Yeah. Uh, if well, you, you work with the compounder. You don't, unlike trying to polish a car with a polisher and laying it flat on it, you really kind of use not the very edge, but kind of right where it breaks on the edge of the polisher and polish pad. There's some real subtleties to um, a number of, of things about compounding. One thing that is very important is that it be a wool pad. There is something about the uh, fiber characteristics of the wool that tend to hold the, the polish very close to the skin. And when you, it's, it's a difficult thing to verbally uh, describe, but what I like to do is I I use a butter knife to spread on my polish, and I use very little of it. And I take a very thin smear over the uh, outer areas, maybe two inches in from the outside edge of the, of the wool pad, a very thin smear all the way around the pad. And then I quickly feather the trigger just to barely get the uh, uh, compounder to turn, 
and as I do that, I wipe down and coat the areas that I want to polish. So I have uh, the area maybe a foot square or a foot and a half square with this uh, very thin layer of uh, polish on it. And then I start at one end with the edge of the compounder just slightly tipped up. And pushing down, I work. I then run the compounder. Uh, it only has one speed. And slowly move my way down the material. And as I do so, the area behind where the wool pad touches is completely cleaned off so that you're actually rubbing the wool with a compound in it across the bare aluminum. If, as you drag it across, you are leaving polish behind, you're basically polishing the top of polish. And that's not what you want to do. You want to be polishing the aluminum itself. It's almost something you really have to experience to appreciate the technique. Yeah, I would say a lot of the part of polishing when you're starting out is learning what the tools and the polish does. And you might spend a few hours learning it while you're doing it before you actually before you, it actually clicks in your head the techniques. You very much develop your own techniques as you go and what you have success with and that you get the results that you're happy with, that's what you keep doing and then you will modify your system a little as you go. Uh, when you have conversations with folks about polishing, everybody always has their own uh, way that they like to go about it. And obviously there's only one thing that really matters and that's the final result. There's many ways to skin a cat and there's you know many ways to polish things. But the basic concept of using the compounder and Nuvite and then finishing up with the Cyclo with a, t with a sweatshirt material on it, uh, in some form or another, I, I just haven't seen anything that gives the same final result that that, the, that, that does. The Swift video that they put out if someone's not able to see a demonstration of it at a rally somewhere, really does give you a pretty much better visual of how how it's being done. And Tom, Tom sells it, the Swift Foundation sells it. There's several places you can get a hold of a copy of the video. They, they use a heavier drill. It's still a slow-speed drill, but they use a heavier one than what we were using. Tom turned us on to the DeWalt DW130 which is a much lighter drill but still very heavy duty, which made it much easier than one that weighed, you know, 10 pounds more. Yeah, I do have a very good feeling about using a DeWalt DW130. It is a triple gear reduction drill, and yet it's fairly light. I think it's somewhere around 6 or 7 pounds. Uh, I did make a modification to mine, which was to remove the chuck and machine an adapter to use in place of it. And that did two things. It took about a pound off the total weight, as well as moving the area where the polishing pad touches closer to your hands, which gives you uh, makes it easier to control and puts uh, less of an arm, a lever arm there to move it away. And I know that there's certainly other drills out there, or other polishers, but that very, very low 450 RPM at a high torque is not something you can get with any other type of a polisher, and I just think it's important enough to investigate if somebody's wanting to do a polish. I know I've talked to people that think other types of polishers are, are just as good, but uh, I don't see how they would be. Well, one of the cautions with the higher speed polishers is that it's extremely easy to overheat the aluminum. And if you burn the skin, which what happens if you overheat it, it's very difficult or impossible to get that to polish up later. 
Okay. So the the compounding is what gives the polished job its its longevity. Now it really is. Um, anything else, you tend to be simply uh, filling up the pores and burnishing them, burnishing over the the tops of them, and and the corrosion will pop up more quickly. Because it's it's the mechanical horsepower of putting some some good pressure and heavy horsepower against the skin to reshape aluminum into a unified direction. And But then we moved on to the cyclo, which is the finishing step. And a lot of people confuse that. They want to buy a cyclo and start polishing when the cyclo is well, actually... It's good. Go ahead. There's good reason that they confuse it because for many, many years, it's been the way to polish is just with the cyclo and the wool bonnets on the cyclo. And there's been many airplanes, many trailers polished with just the cyclo before people started using this method with the compounder. And, in fact, when I started on the trailer, I started with just the cyclo and the wool bonnets like we had tried on the airplane previously. And it's a big mess to do it that way. And I was getting, oh, mediocre results with that. Then we learned about the sweatshirt material. I used that, and I actually polished about three-quarters of the trailer with just the cyclo, with the sweatshirt material, because the skin on our trailer really was quite nice on the lower half. We had a lot of um, corrosion on the upper half where the clear coat had worn off years before, and so we thought it was going to be good enough to just skip the compounding step and just do it with the cyclo, with the sweatshirt material over it. What we found is... As soon as we did a portion of the trailer that was bad with the compounder, that it came out so much better than everything else that we started over again. Repolished the whole trailer, even though we were close to finished with it. But the benefit of using the cycle was that much more. The, the compounder. I'm sorry, the, the compounder. Right. And actually, we've uh, we've done we keep our trailer in, in a very good environment when we're not using it. Mm-hmm. And we've done one repolish, and we actually compounded the trailer with S rather than just cycling it. So the compounding okay. uh, is not just for the initial cut, but it, nothing else seems to... The, using a cyclo does not do the same thing as, as a compounder does. Can we explain what a cyclo is? Kind of describe it. We described the compounder, the drill. Let's describe a cyclo uh, orbital sander, or polisher, excuse me, for those who haven't seen one. Well, the Cyclo is uh, a commercially made polisher that's been around since about 1952, and it has uh, two heads that uh, are free to rotate on their own axis. However, they have an orbital action that's maybe, uh, oh, probably inch and a half diameter uh, circle that they just basically orbit in, and they're, they're allowed to spin freely other than that machine by itself has been used for a long time, but it's kind of a coarse polish. What's unusual is the use of the sweatshirt material over the the heads of the cyclo, which then prevents the cyclo heads from spinning. So they're only making this orbital action without the spinning action. By using the sweatshirt material and moving it from spot to spot, you're always able to keep essentially clean fur cleaning off the trailer and polishing on the trailer, whereas when you used either the foam or the wool bonnets that the cyclo comes with, once you start using them, they're dirty, and you keep moving from dirty to dirty, and instead of always having something fresh 
that you're polishing with. It's actually one of the things that Arlen and I developed was a way to hold that cloth on the cycle of the Swift video just had you holding it with your with your hands. And it was great perhaps for a man with great big hands holding it on, but I just couldn't do it. And so what Tom sells now is um, cyclo wraps. It's a special way of hooking it onto the machine to make it so that you're not constantly both holding the machine and having to hold the cloth in the right place. So you polish just, oh, maybe one foot or two foot area with the cyclo with the cloth in one spot, and then you move the cloth to a clean spot. So you're all, always using a clean spot as you're doing the polish. You polish with the uh, one piece of sweatshirt material for a couple minutes, and then you reposition the cloth. And the little system we came up with uh, takes a, a square of cloth about 30 inches square, and you can theoretically get about, uh, I think, 16 different spots, or maybe it's 12 different spots uh, on that cloth. So it's fairly efficient and allows you to uh, easily uh, loop one of the slits in the cloth over either the motor housing or the handle and then tie the uh, tails of it back. Yeah, we'll put but a picture uh, of that on the website so you, people could get a good visual of Yeah, there's of a that. picture of it on our website, and then Tom modified it a little, and there's a picture on his website. A lot of people are using a little clamp now instead of tying it, mm. so it's whatever works for you. Very much a matter of developing your own your own personal system based on how you like to work with things. And now, we talked with Herb Spees, and he said that uh, Shirley is his polishing hero. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I know he's developed a couple other different techniques that have worked real well for him. Yeah. He shared some with us at a rally once. It seems to me like two of the big innovations, if you want to call them that, is the compounding step and then also the cyclo-wrap technique. And the other thing that kind of um, took a l- little while to catch on, and I think it's real common now, is using for the f- both for cleaning the trailer you know, after a trip as well as your final cleanup as you're doing the polish and getting the last of that black residue off is the microfiber cloth. Okay. And a few years ago, they were a little hard to come by, but now just about everybody has them. Walmart, every auto store, everybody seems to have them. And the ones that most of them are 80% one material and 20% the other material. I forget exactly what the materials are, some polyester and something else. The best ones you can get are 70% one material and 30% the other. But the 80-20 work okay, too. They're just a little bit rougher than the 70-30s. The and cleaning up around the edges of the rivets and the seams and getting that last final black residue off, those microfiber cloths really work nicely. Okay. I think we covered the, the actual use of the compounder. We've gone over our part of the trailer with... C, we compounded it, we got it cleaned up, uh, and we didn't really mention it, but what do you use to clean up? I would say like the microfiber and mineral spirits to clean it up in between steps? Is well, actually, we, uh, oh, I'm sure we've got up in here. Okay, go ahead. Well, what, what we love and unfortunately is no longer available is a product called glass wax. Fortunately for us, we found out it was not being produced anymore while it was still on the sh- store shelf, so we ran and got a bunch. So we haven't tried a lot of the other new products that people have been trying out there. The problem was the EPA didn't like a glass cleaner with as high of petroleum distillates as it had, and 
the company, after they reformulated it three times for the EPA, decided it just wasn't worth it to do it again. But there is a couple products out that the people have been using. Um, Nuvite came out with a product called New Image, and I talked to Tom about it, and he said it's not quite as good of working. It's a dry wash product, and it doesn't work quite as well as the glass wax, but he said it really does work quite nicely. So it's very, it's very important to clean up between stages of the polish. A- absolutely. If you try to polish with the S after you've done the C and you haven't really cleaned the C real nice, you're working against yourself because you still have some grit left on the trailer. One aspect of polishing is to absolutely get things clean before you start because if there is dirt on the surface, that dirt is coarser than the polishes that you're using and it will scratch your nicely polished surface. Um, Something else that we haven't talked about is that when you do polish, uh, putting together a nice kit that you keep all together with all the components so that you can just go out and polish for an hour or two and then quit and not spend a lot of time. We actually, one thing we'll do is we have uh, like five gallon plastic buckets with lids on them and we'll have brand new claws in one and claws that we've used and washed once or twice in another and uh, dirty claws in the last one. So these are all sealed uh, and will keep keep the cloth from getting dirty and you're not throwing things around on the ground. I actually have a card table that I use that uh, I use to lay the, uh, the cycle on when I put on new wraps and uh, other various things. And then a little box, it's a little Tupperware type, uh, or not Tupperware, but Rubbermaid uh, little carry-all thing that uh, have, has all the rest of the components in it. So you just pick up your polishing kit and go out and start polishing for a while and then come back in. But I guess we're starting on cleanliness. I guess that's what my comment initially was. And uh, it's just very important to have a system where you can clean a significant portion where you're going to be polishing so that you don't get debris into your polish as you work. Okay. And talking about the polish and having your kit ready, the Nuvite polish is fairly expensive, and it dries out quite quickly. So what we usually do is put a couple tablespoons in a little container, a little Tupperware, just some little container and keep the big pound of polish all sealed up except for when we're scooping out a little bit to be used. Also, you don't want to end up tipping that over somewhere and losing your polish. Oh, yeah. Unfortunately, um, it does dry out and Nuvite will not tell me what it is that I can thin it with. It's one of my beefs with them that uh, the product uh, does dry out and there's I've tried many things. I've tried water. I've tried mineral spirits. Uh, I've tried pine salt because it smells a bit like pine salt. And nothing seems to thin it to be the same as the initial product. And I would... Proprietary. Yeah, I would appreciate it if they'd tell me or sell me some of that material to thin it with. But uh, that and the fact that the stuff costs $50 a pound. I guess I'd very much like to say that I'm a fan of the way the product works. Mm-hmm. I think it's a bit expensive. Mm-hmm. But there's nothing else that works like it. And for that reason... Uh, you know, I'm being honest, and I'll recommend that it's a good product, but I think I should just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we describe the action of the Cyclo? We got the Cyclo wrap on, and we're going to head over to our trailer where we just compounded with C, and we got it all nice and clean. How much polish do we put on, uh, and how? what's the action, you know, up, down, left, and right, how much pressure of the Cyclo? Um, what I like to use, as I mentioned, with the... Um, a compounder, I actually just like to use a butter knife and just get a very thin smear on the outer portions of the 
fibers. And with the uh, cyclo, um, some people like to use a finger dab. Again, I think uh, the edge of a butter knife with just a thin smear. You're putting on, oh, probably way under an eighth of a teaspoon. I, just a, You're dabbing your finger in it and just putting two or three dabs on each head. Uh, Shirley's probably a better person to comment on that. Yeah, with the the first passes of the cyclo, I tend to use just a little bit more polish than later, but it's still, it's a very small amount of polish. You know you've used too much is if when you you start start polishing and it stays black for a long time and you have to, and it just isn't cleaning off nicely. You know, so five minutes later, you're working on it and it's still black. You know you've used too much polish. Okay. And at the final stages of polishing, I really am, when I'm just bringing up the last of the shine and cleaning, getting it all clean in the last of the shine, is I really am just putting thumbprints of polish right on the skin and then then cleaning off to get that very, very last shine on it. You do use quite a bit of polish with the compounding. And we polished the whole tra trailer, like we said, twice because I went back over it again and still use less than a pound of S. But we did use a couple pounds of the the previous polish, the C's and G's or whatever we were using in the different, different areas. But the S, you use a lot less of it and it goes a long way. Okay. You really should, uh, with any of your uh, experimenting to, to polish, try using as little polish as possible. I've found that, it's, that it does go a long way, even when you're compounding. The important issue is that you keep the polish between the wool fibers or cotton fibers and the aluminum and not allow the polish to soak into your uh, your bonnets or your or into your uh, sweatshirt material. It doesn't do any good. It's only when it's contacting, touching the skin. It's the only place that the compound, the uh, polish actually does any good. Okay, can we do a little bit of recap now? Let's just say, let's start from the compounder and till the time we're Wiping it with the whatever you use to protect it with at the end. One little section. Actually, before we start with the compounder, there's a couple steps, and I only bring these up because we get a lot of questions on them and don't okay. want to spend it too much time here. But there was one place on a website once where they talked about removing the whatever clear coat was left with the compounder. You don't want to do that. You want to make sure you use some sort of, if you have any clear coat left, that you use some sort of paint stripper to get that clear coat off before you ever start. And the second thing is you want to make sure before you start compounding, like Arlen said, that it's very, very clean. And you don't think that behind your awning rail, there's dirt back there on top of your window rails, there's dirt. And we found taking compressed air, taking the compressor hose up there, and blowing out all those areas before we ever started to get those nice and clean because when you start vibrating on the edge of the trailer with the compounder, all that dirt that was behind the awning rail sitting there real nice starts falling down. Okay, so clean cleanliness is number one with polishing. Absolutely. And then recapping on the compounder, I'll let Arlen take it. Uh, I'm not sure where to pick up on that. Uh, I just want to walk them through, you know, we talked about it, you know, in the different sections. Let's just kind of walk it through, stepping through the process of we cleaned it, we stripped it, we stripped the clear coat, we've cleaned it, now we're going to do the the compounding and then, you know, wipe off the residue and then move on to the next step. Well, the, the compounding, uh, generally starting with a C, 
and uh, picking an area that's maybe a foot square to begin with and uh, there you use a minimum amount of polish that you've given a thin schmear on. Uh, you may end up going over it two or even three times uh, initially. So for someone starting to polish, I would probably only work with an area, say, uh, three feet square and work that to your final polish until you're happy with your results. And, uh, you know, hopefully pick an area of the trailer that's uh, uh, easy, to, easy to access. But try compounding, you know, doing this uh, maybe a foot by foot and one by two foot area that you've uh, compounded and keep working until you get that three foot area. And then the next you would uh, try it with your, uh, go to the next step with the cyclo, usually with a C and then the F7, uh, and then stand back and look at it and see what you like. I think what Arla's talking about here is kind of the learning process that instead of starting with the whole trailer and doing one process and then the next process and the next pro next process to do a learning a learning curve where you're working with a small section and learn how all the steps are going to come together before you start doing the whole thing. Yes. Is it true that one section of the same trailer will vary in, on how easy it is to polish from one section to the next? Absolutely. might seem a little much, but each piece of skin seems to have its own personality sometimes. And that's especially true with some of the uh, compound curve sections on the end caps. Yeah, I ran but, into uh, that as well. That seemed to be <laughs> that seemed to be the compounded section on the uh, on the end cap seemed to be the toughest on my trailer. Yeah. Actually, what's happened there, you'll often have what looks like an orange peel uh, uh, texture to the skin there. And that's because of the, the uh, stretch forming method that they use to produce the skin. Literally does make a make an orange peel of it, and you can actually grind with a compounding with with a compounder. You can actually just you can actually make that as smooth as the uh, rest of the skin is. Okay. The basic process that we used once we figured out our technique, for the most part, Arlen would do the compounding, and I'd let him get about a panel ahead of me, and then I would follow behind him with the cyclopolisher. So he was always moving in front of me, getting the polishing done with the compounder, and then I would follow behind with the cyclo. And once in a while, he had gotten so aggressive on the skin that I just wasn't able to cyclo out the swirls that he left. So he'd have to come back with a, maybe the S and less pressure and get some of the deep swirls out he had left so that I could polish behind him. That's interesting. What? One other small comment I might make, and that is uh, getting to the very various areas of the trailer, especially up high. Uh, something that can help is if you have the ability to uh, maybe dig a little hole and drop one of the wheels into it, or you could even take a wheel off the trailer and use a jack to drop the side down, and that tends to tilt that side over towards you so you can get up higher more easily. We ended up doing a lot of polishing on both uh, six and eight foot ladders as well as a little aluminum bench that we have that has about a two-foot square top to it. Fortunately, most of the polishing that you want to do is maybe uh, a foot or two above the, the windows, about the height of the uh, awning rail. Above that, you don't really see it that well, so you can get by with less time there. One of the techniques that's once you've learned to polish with your feet on the ground and not being on, the, on a ladder, the best way to do the polish is from the top to the bottom because if your cord touches the skin it, and it's all nicely polished, it will abrade it a little bit, and you'll have to go back and do a final polish on it again. So it's good to learn to polish with your feet on the ground because it's much harder on the ladder. 
but then once you started around the trailer to start from the top down will give you less work because you don't have to go and touch up what you mess up down below. Okay. Now you guys did mention uh, possibly recompounding with S later. Is that maybe we can go over your the the uh, the maintenance that you do? Is it a yearly maintenance that uh, keeps the polish up? Well, actually, we polished the trailer in two thousand one, and I've done some we've done some touch up polishing since then in areas we didn't get real good the first time. But the trailer's in need now of repolishing quite badly. I mean, it still looks shiny, and anybody walking by thinks it's all a very shiny trailer. But I see the corrosion popping out in some areas, especially down um, near the bottom where it gets more road grime and so forth, even though we wash it off. So it's, it's in need of a good polish job now. But where we have gone back and touched it up, a lot of times that is exactly what we've done, is that we've compounded with S, and then I come back with the cyclone. It takes a lot less time than the first time around because you're not putting nearly the pressure on that you were the first time around, and there's not the kind of corrosion there was the first time around. It's a small fraction of the work of the initial polish. Well, let's see. I think we've covered everything. Is there anything that I may have left out that would be a good point to bring up? Well, one of the things people ask about is the cleanup, and you really can wash the cycler wraps um, and even the polishing bonnets. From the compounder. From the compounder. Okay. We don't wash them every day. He puts them in a Ziploc bag in between. Um, but if I want to clean them up completely, you can wash them by hand, but that takes a lot of time and effort. And I actually just throw them in the washing machine, and I set it about three-quarters full on the water, and I wash them out. And the next load that I do, I put on full cycle, and I wash his dirty, dirty, grungy jeans in it. With, with high water instead of, instead of three-quarters full. And I don't have any problem. You know, I might have a ring to wipe out in the washing machine, but not much. This stuff really cleans up quite nicely. Unlike about any other polish we've ever used. Okay. And if you really want to turn your bonnets white again, TSP will actually do that. If you want to wash them with TSP. Oh, that's a good idea. We we purchased, I think, uh, maybe three of the wool bonnets, and that's plenty to, to work with. Uh, usually you don't change compounding grits too often. Right. So you're just working with a C constantly, and then maybe you might go to a brand-new bonnet with some S, and then go back to using that bonnet with the S and putting some C in it, because that won't hurt anything. And we have a lot of details of this on, on our website. I think you've had that address. Is that globetrotter64.home.att.net? That's correct. And we'll put that and on the website. So people can review it there. We have links over to Tom's website, as well as some other people who've done various polishing and have some ideas on it. We have links to them as well. Now, we introduced you as having the shiniest trailer on the uh, planet. How did how did you get that uh, I, I think that uh, there was a fellow by the name of... Uh, oh, Doug Keister. Doug Keister. And he's a well-known photographer and author. He, uh, he He's the one who gave us that name. Uh, <laughs> For better yeah. or worse. He published it in a book, so it must be true, right? Yeah, it must be true. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, he... Uh, had one picture that uh, I thought was okay, and it uh, has been featured on the cover of I think the Elks magazine, and also it was it has a two-page picture in Reader's Digest from July of last year. It's great. So it's a, it is a shiny trailer. There's no no doubt about that. But uh, I think there's an awful lot of other people that could claim pretty close second or third or first even now because ours, like I said, is in 
pretty good need of a new polish job now. Well, it is a labor of love. It's not necessary for those who don't wish to uh, to start it, but uh, it sure does bring out the uh, smiles and people that see it. And I think one of the things Arlen brought up at the very beginning, that you don't necessarily have to polish it to this absolutely bright shine. To get something that's very even is probably the most important to having it look nice. It is most important to have an even-looking shine. It's not. It's it's a comparative uh, question. If you saw two shiny trailers and they weren't side to si- side by side, you would have a difficult time trying to determine which one was shinier. Mm-hmm. It is how consistent the polish is that matters. And if the the surface of the entire trailer is is even, that looks much better than something that's even shinier, but th- that uh, it's uneven. Some areas shinier than others. Uh, just one thing I do want to make sure that, you, that uh, anybody listening understands, and that is that we are not in the business of selling anything or polishing anybody's trailer. It's just something that we have done for fun, and uh, it's a hobby, and uh, we're pleased if anybody else uh, finds inspiration or finds some useful tips that, that uh, we've uh, found during our polishing experiences. Well, and I think we'll end it with that. I'll thank you, Arlen and Shirley. Really appreciate that. We'll put links to the website for uh, some of the dresses that we mentioned, make it easier to find. And we'll have some pictures of your trailer uh, on our site, and we'll, we'll link over to yours as well. But I appreciate you coming on, sharing your uh, interesting history and knowledge of, of polishing airstream. Thanks, guys. All right. Nice chatting with you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that does it for this episode. I'd like to thank Arlen and Shirley for being on the show. Hope you can get out there and get to work polishing your trailer. Give us a call on the voicemail line and tell us how it's going. So until next time, we hope to see you down the road. Take care, everyone. If you want to get in contact with us here at the VAP Podcast, you can call the voicemail hotline at 206-202-4VAP. And the email address is questions at thevap.com. Rivets! I need more rivets!